Hello, and welcome back to the Glossy Week in Review podcast. I'm your host, senior fashion reporter Danny Parisi, and I'm here with our editor-in-chief, Jill Manoff. How are you, Jill? So good. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. This is our first Week in Review episode of the year. I'm very excited to be back. Uh, 2023 was very exciting. We, d- we discussed a lot of uh, fascinating stuff, and I'm excited to discuss more fascinating stuff this year. Starting with, in our first episode, there's actually quite a lot of stuff going on, even though it's the first week of the year. Um, Jacques Moose's CEO abruptly stepped down this week, so we'll talk about what that means. Abercrombie and Fitch, uh, shockingly to me, reported one of the best stock performances of the year last year, uh, not just in fashion, but just across all, like, this, like across the whole stock market, which is kind of interesting. Uh, and then finally, we're going to talk about the Italian influencer Chiara Ferragni, who was dropped by Safalo after her charity scandal came to light in December. So we'll talk about that as well. Um, let's start with Jacques Mousse. Um, so the CEO, Bastien de Guzan, I think is his name, um, he joined as CEO in May 2022. He was an advisor to the brand before, um, but he took over as CEO. Uh, Simone Port Jacquemus is the, the founder and designer. He was CEO before that. Um, but Deguzan uh, abruptly stepped down this week. It kind of was one of those things where it was announced and in effect in you know simultaneously. Uh, the statement that came out was very diplomatic, thanking him for his time at the company, that kind of stuff. Um, he was, so he was there for over a year and a half and through, I would say, a big period of growth for Jacques Mousse. Um, I don't know if there's any specific reason given that I saw anywhere. Um, but yeah, he kind of was, you know, shepherded the brand, shepherded the brand through a very important kind of period where they really sort of blew up. Um, I don't know why I have some thoughts, but Joe, why don't you go first? What do you, what do you make of him stepping down? Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts. It seemed a little abrupt, especially seeing as. So it was announced, I think, actually late December, um, around the 22nd. Um, And he had just been, like you said, he joined the company in May 2022. And his role was CEO, but it expanded to CEO and president just in December, on December, around December 6th. I think Vogue Business reported that. Um, But like you said, I first of all, I didn't realize Jacques Mousse was so old. <laughs> it's been around about 14 years, um, like really, and it just really gained so much traction. It's had some viral products like those little cardigans with the single button, all the things, um, these beautiful shows. Uh, right now, it's doing all the fun things on Instagram with AI and um, digital art. A lot of buzz. But like you said, um, this feller um, joined the company at a time of huge growth. So looking back at 2021, the brand, their sales more than doubled to top 100 million euros. After all these years, 2021, its sales doubled. And then he joined the company in 2022, start of 2022. And in 2022, the company's sales doubled again. It hit 220 million. So you know, just whatever. We don't know this for sure, but it could be that, you know, it's one of the casualties of the slowdown of luxury and potentially to blamed as the leader of the company for not maintaining that growth in 2023, which I don't know the numbers of 2023. Um, they haven't released them, but um, the company was targeting 500 million euros by 2025. Um, so they weren't targeting double double um, revenue growth every single year, but um, substantial growth, I would say. Um, and yeah, like you said, he, he did a lot of things. Um, he helped the company uh, push further into physical retail. 
owned physical retail. Um, when I was in, at Paris Fashion Week, there was they had just opened the store, um, their first flagship in Paris, and. Of course. I mean, a lot of stores had lines out the door, but the line was out the door and it was near my hotel. And I was like, I'm going to wait till there's a shorter line <laughs> and I'm going to go. There was never a shorter line. It was hot. And they also have since opened pop-ups uh, everywhere. They had a big pop-up planned for a holiday, um, I think in the French Alps. Um, so they're doing a lot on the physical retail front. It's not like there was they were stagnant. I don't think that the, the brand was losing steam. Um, anyway... And there's another reason, and I will let you talk, but um, <laughs> Jacques Mousse himself, um, there's rumor that he may be going to Givenchy um, now that Matthew Williams left. So again, speculation, but maybe they're just prepping the brand to, I don't know, run differently as the, the lead creative, like maybe divides his time or something like that. What do you think? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I agree with everything you said, and I've heard kind of similar things. One thing I wanted to throw out there, and this is totally speculative, but um, there was a tweet I saw recently from um, Louis Pisano, who's a writer for Harper's. He had posted a, a screenshot of a DM about uh, a certain French designer who hired a very expensive employee to help reach profitability, uh, but it didn't work, and then that person was about to be let go. This was December 29th. Um, and there was a lot of speculation that maybe this was referring to Jacques Mousse. Um, it could be, I mean, there was no confirmation. It could be about any number of French designers, but I thought the timing of that was kind of uh, interesting. I also don't know if they are profitable. Um, like you said, they've reported a good amount of of financials, um, their revenue doubling. They also have like 300 employees, which is pretty big. Um, I didn't realize they were as old as you said, though. So I'm wondering if it's that even though, you know, They've got lines out the door and they're growing. They might also be spending a lot, you know, um, which is it's very easy to spend way more than you're making, even if you're a really successful brand, um, especially, as you said, with the the luxury slowdown happening right now, which I think is going to be a big theme of a lot of the things we talk about today and probably for the rest of the year. Um, so all speculative, but I wonder if that was an issue for them as well. Yeah, that could be literally... It doesn't mean that it's, it's it's apples and oranges. It's not the same thing. But Lexi Lebsack on our team uh, just did, it went live this week, a story on what's happening in the beauty industry. And it, it was interesting that you mentioned that this CEO hire in 2022 was very costly or according to that tweet, um, because Lexi's story was with a recruiter, um, executive recruiter on the beauty side. And she was saying that um, there's a lot of talent right now at executive levels. And basically the power is more so in the brand's hands than it was ever before. And so um, you can pay people less. Um, it's very competitive for these these roles at brands at this point. So, um, you know, we've seen a lot of shuffling on the fashion side, that's for sure. Um, so it could be something there too. Like maybe he was draining the brand <laughs> if he was that expensive. Who's to say? Yes, Jill, I was going to say actually the same thing. We talked a lot about creative director reshuffling um, at fashion in the last year. I think we will definitely see CEO reshuffling as well. And for the same reason, you know, as we've talked about, if if the growth is slowing and, you know, things are not as exciting and the investors are wondering who to blame, you know, a lot of times that's the CEO and they might just want to replace them, especially after not even that long of a tenure. Um, I mean, he was only in that role for a year and a half Again, all speculative. I don't know if that's the reason, but um, 
I'm sure that there will be more of that kind of moving around in fashion through the next year. Agree. I will just add that um, actually Jacques Mousse is profitable. It's been reported. So I just ah, wanted to add that. Okay. Okay, so that tweet may not be referring to them. Um, although, when was that reported that they were profitable? Because it's been reported changed. a couple so, of times, but also maybe that tweet was accurate and they were just ill informed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It could also be referring to another French designer. I actually might want to go back to that tweet and see if there's any other speculation added to it because I'm I'm very curious. Anyway, let's move on though and talk about Abercrombie. So um, there was an interesting kind of fact that was reported this week, which was that the best performing stock in 2023 in the S&P 1500 was Abercrombie & Fitch. It even was ahead of NVIDIA, which is this big tech company that's been doing a lot of stuff with AI, and that grew a ton. Um, I th- believe Abercrombie & Fitch's stock grew by 285% last year, which is pretty huge. Um, their quarterly sales were up like 20% last quarter. Um, the brand is doing super well. The, the analysts were talking about how They've reduced their costs, particularly in their brick and mortar costs. Um, so it just seems like that brand has really had an amazing year. Um, Hollister had a big comeback last year as well. Um, they sort of rebranded the, their identity to be more inclusive, uh, all sorts of things. Um, it feels like it's all added up. Um, and it kind of touches on a, a bunch of things we talked about, like luxury kind of slowing down and people being more interested in other types of brands, all that kind of stuff. What's your take on Abercrombie and Fitch having such a big year? Look at Abercrombie and Fitch. I tell you what, yeah, we talked a long time about uh, how Abercrombie was making a comeback. It was very uh, based, very much based on the, their denim. Like there was a lot of buzz about their denim on TikTok, um, probably because people didn't know where to go now that skinny jeans were out, and they were definitely doing some cool young-looking jeans. Because God forbid. We look chuggy. So anyway, I started to pay attention then. And ever like I just went on in preparation for this segment. And let me just say, it looks good. Um, let's they've yeah. diversified their product assortment. Um, they're not totally reliant on denim and teas. And there's a section called Best Dressed Guest Collection. Mm-hmm. And it's not just like sundresses like you would expect from Abercrombie. It is like wedding ready dresses and they're $130. Like you don't hear a lot of backlash about their quality. Like you do like a Shein. I don't, I was like, wait, Mm -hmm. what? And then modern workwear. And it's like, you can get a suit for 210, like lower than Zara prices. Um, But it's kind of like modern looking because it's like they mix in jeans. It's like how people actually dress for work. It feels very in check with what people want. It had like a frame denim vibe actually, like on the homepage. Like it looks cool. It doesn't look super young. It looks aspirational for that young mall shopper and in tune with what I get, I guess culture, pop culture. There's uh NFL merch, like Chiefs sweatshirt on the on the homepage as well. Um, very timely. So I think diversifying the product assortment amazing. They even have a fragrance. Guess what it's called? Fierce. <laughs> and it came out in 20. 20- I had no idea. I'm glad you didn't make me guess because I would, I would fitch. I don't know. I mean, I don't know about the name of the fragrance, but they, um, they, there was a story about it in GQ last year. Like a guy, like I wear this unisex fragrance from Abercrombie. Um, but anyway, so they're shaking it up. I think they're doing all the right things. There's talk in the success of the stock and what they're doing right. Um, has to do with uh, like not just again staying in their lane. They're appealing to people's 
um, habits of going back to work and going out on the town, but also changes in their supply chain and right tracking the store count and doing all the things we talk about every week on this podcast. So um, anyway, I think they have great momentum. Their stocks fell because some investors cashed out when they saw the success of the year. Um, but yeah, I think they're in a great place. Yeah, no, I know. I think that is all, you know, you're totally right. And especially the the branding and the product design is like kind of different too. It's less of that sort of very 2000s, like, you know, logo heavy, dis- faux distressed kind of stuff. It's much more just like cleaned up and adult. I, I think it's interesting that you said it's not too young because I feel like that was such a youth brand for a long time. And then but I, I think that a brand that's targeting a specific age, is it's always interesting because you're like getting a whole new generation of customers every couple of years. You're not, and like people age in and age out as opposed to like they keep wearing it through there. But it feels like they're kind of trying to expand that. And maybe rather than just chasing like this niche, like cool youth energy, they're like, let's just be like a brand that anybody can wear, um, yes. which it seems like is working out for them. Yes, and if you watch TikTok, like teens, People who are 11 years old, preteens, tweens, whatever we're calling them, um, they don't want to shop for the, like, they're shopping the 20-something brands. Like, they're not shopping Journey or whatever. Journeys, whatever. What was the store that was at the mall? No, not Journey. Justice. Excuse me. Justice. Justice. Yeah. But, like, even on. There was a store called Journeys, though. I think that was, like, I think it's still around. Stuff. I think it's more yeah. like sneakers. Um I've yeah. been to the mall. Um, <laughs> I know the stores. <laughs> but there is, um, like, on the beauty side, I keep comparing it to beauty, but, like, because we're talking so much about these young kids getting into beauty and loving Sephora and loving all these brands like Drunk Elephant and Glow Recipe, on the same thing, I think, applies to fashion, where on the beauty side, I'm like, should we be talking more about this brand that caters to tweens called Petite and Pretty, I believe? No, 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 no. We shouldn't because... The kids, they don't want that. They want the aspirational. They want what Alex Earl, who's 20-something, is wearing. Um, They don't want to be thought of as a tween regardless. So I think that it's good to kind of shoot up, uh, style things to look a little bit more mature um, because that's what kids are seeing on the Kardashians, on whoever they look up to. True. That that's a good point. When I was thirteen, I wasn't necessarily like I want to dress like other thirteen-year-olds. You know, totally. I was looking at what adults were wearing. Um, yeah, that's a really interesting point. I also I wonder. Do you think that the sort of push to be more inclusive and less of that like super exclusive, like beautiful people only type of identity they had? Do you think that has had a tangible impact, or do you think that's just incidental? It definitely seems like good PR, but I I wonder if it's had a an actual effect on the sales. I don't know. That's a very good point. I didn't think of kind of what they're known for and the guys with the washboard abs and Mm -hmm. the smell in the store. I wonder how the stores smell these days. Like fierce, I bet. (laughs) Probably, yeah. When you said the fragrance, I immediately thought of how intense the store smelled (laughs) back in the day. And wasn't their former CEO was the one who was like, we don't want poor people wearing our clothes or we don't want ugly people wearing our clothes. Something like that. Like something just really kind of nasty. And and it was, this was years ago. This was like an infamous thing he said. And they definitely seem like they're kind of 
have been consciously pushing away from that sort of in a similar way that like Victoria's Secret has. Um, you know, we're not that brand anymore. We're more mature and more inclusive and more accepting, all that kind of stuff. Totally. Keep talking because I want to see. Um, <laughs> keep going, Danny. <laughs> I'm looking up how their size inclusivity on their denim, for instance, and mm-hmm. if they what they're selling is matching what they're putting out there. Because you're right. There has been a big transition from, I don't know, the traditional idea of beauty, American beauty, whatever we want to call it. I'll, I'll say one thing while you're looking that up, which is that, um, again, we're going to bring this up a ton, I imagine. But as the luxury sector has kind of slowed down, I, I imagine there's a group, there's a number of people who are looking for something that is both high quality and also has some of the brand name recognition that luxury does, but is not in the luxury sector. And I feel like Abercrombie is like kind of positioned in a good spot there where it's a name and people know the name. And the like you said, the quality seems good. I've never heard anybody complain about the quality. I've, I've actually, I know a couple of people who swear by the denim as being like, you know, absolutely indestructible. So it's, it's got some of the things that people like about luxury, um, but it's not that expensive. So that seems like a really good place to be right now. Yeah, I think we're jaded in our little fashion bubble because I was surprised with skims and the affordability. And then when I was on Abercrombie's site, I'm like $130 for like a wedding looking, a wedding perfect dress. It seemed wild to me, but um, it's great. But yeah, wow, their size inclusivity is awesome awesome on their denim. It goes um, like women's jeans, waist size, 23 to 37. That's great. Anyway, they're doing they're doing it up. Go ahead. They they are yeah, and we'll, they're definitely a brand we'll keep you know keep track of. But um, let's move on to our final topic, which is going to be about Chiara Ferragni, the Italian influencer. This didn't actually happen this week. Um, the initial like incident happened in December, but I still thought it was interesting and, and worth talking about. But in late December, uh, Chiara Ferragni was fined by the Italian government for this charity drive. She basically, what happened was she uh, did this campaign where she wanted people to buy these cakes from an Italian pastry uh, pastry brand um, and sort of implied that the money would, from like the proceeds from the sales of the cake, which had her face and logo on it, um, would go to, uh, would be donated to this hospital in Turin. What actually happened was that the pastry brand had already made a fixed donation to the hospital. And so the m- extra money from the sales had no effect on how much. It, and they sold like a million dollars worth of cakes and the donation was like just $50,000. So people kind of, it was sort of presented as the money from these cakes is going to go to the hospital so that you'd think they'd get a million dollars since that's how much they sold. But really, it was like they had already given a tiny donation and it didn't really affect anything. So all these people bought these cakes thinking that it would the money would go to a hospital and it didn't. So the Italian government uh, fined her, um, I think, a million dollars. And she apologized. And the interesting thing to me is that there seem to be kind of genuine consequences for this, which is, you know, not just the fine, but also um, Safilo, which is an Italian eye, like eyewear manufacturer, um, had a licensing deal with her where they were have been making glasses for her brand um, since like 2021, I think, and they have ended that licensing deal. So it's like, it's not the worst scandal in the world, I think, but it's interesting that there is real consequences happening alongside it. And it does make me it reiterates to me that you have to be, 
it's not good to mislead people no matter what, but especially when it has to do with like charity and money and like where that money is going and what it's being used for. Um, people really don't like to be hoodwinked by that, understandably. Understandably. Wow. She calls it a communications error. Um, and I want to give her the benefit of the doubt. I. It seems like, yeah, it's hard. Like, like you said, sales of these cakes, which people are doing these this was a hot thing over the holiday, P.S. Did you mm -hmm. get the um, pitch? Alice and Olivia did um, uh, Panettone, is that how you say it? Um, yeah. Collaboration with uh, Serafina, I think. And it, I was looking to see if a charity was linked to it. I also wanted to send them to all of our team. I was like, that's so cute. You couldn't, you had to get them in person and I'm not in New York. But anyway, <laughs> the mm. fact is. This well, I'm glad you didn't. I, I had so much Panettone over Christmas my, my family always has it and it's wonderful. Ah, so fun. But yeah, I it, it was misleading how she worded it. To me, she's doing a lot of deals. <laughs> I I feel like it was likely on an honest mistake. Also, she went and um, made a donation to this children's, I think it was a children's hospital. Um, yeah. That was a million dollars, the amount that she reportedly was paid to take part in this collaboration, um, mm -hmm. which... I think is awesome to me that like yeah solves the deal <laughs> like you made yeah. you made reparations but and also um considering her many brand licensing deals there's one with a children's line there's one with a jewelry there's innerwear and beachwear there's children's products she's a model she's the an OG influencer I mean the blonde salad <laughs> she's been around since what 2009 she's iconic particularly in Italy but let's just say like the she's on the board of Todd's group Todd's so I mean if if all of her partnerships stop crumbling and it like comes to light I I think that it, if it was as severe or hmm more clearly intentional because it's so fuzzy. Mm -hmm. I it's just it's fu too fuzzy. And I think if it was yeah. a clear uh, misleading, then I think all of her collaborations would have crumbled because there are yeah. a bazillion. I'm I'm with you. It definitely seems like uh, an easy thing to misconstrue. I'm my feeling is that maybe it was like a little bit an accident and maybe a little bit intentional. Where like because the real the real terms of this like whole thing are like not that exciting. Honestly, we donated a little bit of money by these cakes with my face on it is like, it's, it's just like, it's not that cool really. It's like not that interesting. So I, I feel like it was less like, haha, let's mislead people and more like, let's maybe just like make this sound like more exciting than it really is. And then I could see that it happening. ended up kind of being like, confusing and made people angry and stuff. But you're right. I mean, she's she's like got a huge influence on fashion. I mean, she literally was, after this happened, the Italian prime minister, Giorgio Maloney, literally like brought it up in a speech and was like, people today need to idolize um, like people who produce things and make things and not influencers who like put their face on a cake or something. Like oh, she didn't wow. say her name, but like very obviously <laughs> was like calling her out. So you're right. She is a, like kind of a a big name in fashion, especially in Italy. It, I don't think this is like career ending or anything, um, but it does speak to something we've talked about, which is like, if you're a brand, you you gotta be, it, it's one of the risks of putting your brand in the hands of uh, an outside party, an influencer who you don't 
have full control over. And when their scandals happen, that affects you and stuff like that. So it's not necessarily a reason not to do influencer marketing or work with these people, but it is a risk that those brands take. Yeah, it's a good reminder about all the things we talked about more so in 2020, 2021, um, when there were a lot of those scandals. And um, it speaks to how influencers need to handle like SpawnCon and like the fine print. They're all about like, we're going to take what you're giving us and do it our way because it resonates with our audience. But sometimes you need to do it <laughs> according to the specifics. You need to be very clear about what you're saying. Um, and also, you got to wonder if Staffalo Group, who dropped her, um, how they... Um, if they had updated their conditions or their partnership agreements following some of those scandals, because um, mm -hmm. according to reports, it dropped her because um, it revealed the decision following the violation of contractual contractual commitments undertaken by the brand owners. So mm. um, she broke the contract in some way in Everybody, you know, again, there's speculation that it's directly tied to this to the scandal, but it seems yeah. like it is. Well, it's it, they probably have in their contract, like, don't get in a big scandal that makes us look bad. Yes. You know, like, what's the term? It's a morality clause or something, yes. which is like if you uh, go on the Alex Jones show and start praising Hitler, um, that breaks the contract. Uh, or something like that. So there probably is, like you said, I mean, I think a lot of brands got burned by stuff like that. Adidas probably is the biggest one with like the biggest uh, collapse of a, a partnership with a, a third party, which was with Kanye. That a lot of them do have stuff like that in the contract. That's basically like, don't uh, embarrass us. Don't like get embroiled in like, don't show up on the Epstein like island list of people. Like, <laughs> like so and if you do it. Thank you. I was just <laughs> reading about it this morning. Um, but yeah, it, it feels like, you know, brands know that that's a risk and they are taking steps, building in clauses like that to kind of protect themselves or at least give themselves an out if they end up in a situation like this. So like you said, it's not career ending probably for her, but um, I thought it was interesting for exactly these reasons, a, an interesting case study in how brands respond to things like this. Um, Yes. I think that's all the time we have, but um, this was so fun. Jill, thanks for coming on for the first episode of the year. Thanks so much for having me. It was great. Uh, for those of you listening, don't forget to give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to this because that helps us out so much. And don't forget to subscribe to the Glossy Podcast because you'll hear interviews with industry insiders every Wednesday and we can review episodes every Friday. Jill, who's our next guest? It's so fun. It's Rob Ronan from Material Good, which is... Uh, watch reseller, retailer, which is, um, I don't know, very exclusive and yet welcoming. <laughs> he, he was talking about how they're, they're balancing those two ideas um, and attracting celebrities like Hailey Bieber. We'll just say that. Okay, have a listen. <laughs> <laughs> exclusive and welcoming. I like that. Um, well, thanks for being here, Jill. And for those of you listening, we'll see you next time. Bye.